What kind of argument can I make for switching to the Legacy Standard Bible? Is it okay if women act like tomboys? And what other kind of nonsense is being pushed by the chosen? The answers to these questions and others when we understand the text. This is When We Understand the Text, a daily Bible study in the Word of God that we may comprehend with all the saints how wide, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. Tell all your friends about our ministry at www.utt.com. Here once again is Pastor Gabe. Thank you, Becky, who is not with me. I'm actually just kind of throwing this together. This is the Q&A that should have posted on Friday, February 3rd. <laughs> I'm publishing it online on Sunday the 5th, but still dating it for the 3rd because that's when it should have been online. That was such a busy week. Had so much going on. We had an ice storm in Northeast Texas. That hindered me from being able to get back to my office and do a recording. But on top of that, we also had our expository workshop at First Baptist Church in Lindale. And that went wonderfully well, all things considered. We didn't know how many dropouts we were going to have because of the weather. We had 88 pastors registered, if I remember right. And ended up with 67. So lost about 20. And it was still the biggest expository workshop that we've ever done at FBC Lindale. Sorry we had to miss some of you guys. I know that some of you probably had to cancel because you couldn't help it. The weather just prevented you from being able to get here. But everybody who was able to come, it was a wonderful time. And we thank you for all your prayers. Thankful, of course, for even the volunteers who helped out. Some of the volunteers couldn't get here because they had branches fall in their driveway. One one of my friends had a branch go through his roof, and he was going to be here that Thursday morning helping to greet some of the pastors. I told him, hey, totally understand. <laughs> Don't worry about not being able to come in. But, uh, hey, the Lord was good to us, and I pray that those pastors were fed, that they received some good tools as we poured into them this task that is before us of expository preaching, telling people what God's word says, helping them to understand what the original author meant to the original audience, and then how the Holy Spirit communicates through that to us today. But the text cannot mean to us today what it didn't mean to them then. So it's important for us to get the scriptures right. I've talked to a lot of great pastors, many guys that I'd never met before. Uh, Some of them said they listened to the broadcast I may have gained one or two additional listeners on top of that, so welcome. (laughs) But otherwise, it is such a joy to be able to do these workshops. And whenever you get the chance to be able to do one, look for it online. Go to g3men.org. G3, just the letter and number, g3min.org. And if you click on events... Any of these expository workshops that we have coming up will be on there. There's one that's going to be in Kansas. That's actually a worship workshop. It's not the same as the preaching expository workshop. But then we'll have another expository uh, conference in Wisconsin sometime later on this year. All right, before I get to some questions, it is the Friday edition of the broadcast, and we take questions from the listeners. You can send those questions to when we understand the text at gmail.com. Before doing that, let me read to you here from Psalm 96. Sing to Yahweh a new song. Sing to Yahweh all the earth. Sing to Yahweh. Bless his name. Proclaim good news of his salvation from day to day. Recount his glory among the nations, his wondrous deeds among all the peoples. 
For great is Yahweh and greatly to be praised. He is more fearsome than all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but Yahweh made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Anytime you hear me reading from the scriptures, and if I'm using the name Yahweh, most likely I'm reading from the Legacy Standard Bible. And that actually leads to my first question here. This is from Kent in Indiana. And he says, Dear Pastor Gabe, I so appreciate your dedication to preaching the Bible word for word, both Old Testament and New. I appreciate that, Kent. I'm a relatively new listener, but I love that I have all these different series through all these different books to go back to whenever I want. I caught one episode. I can't remember the number now, but I want to say it was in the 1500s. <laughs> That's funny reading that. Yeah, he means 1500s is in the number of the episode, not an episode I did back in the 1500s. <laughs> I don't know. For some reason, I, I thought that was funny. So going on, he says, where someone asked you about switching translations and you said you hadn't made the decision yet, but in the latest episodes, it sounds like all you read from is the LSB. Have you officially made the switch to the Legacy Standard Bible, and can you say why? I'm just curious. Thank you again. Yeah, I have officially made the switch to the Legacy Standard Bible. I will not only continue to do the LSB in future broadcasts, but it will probably be what is quoted in all the what videos and... It's what I'm preaching from now. Now, my Sunday school lessons are still in the ESV, mostly because the majority of my Sunday school teachers are teaching from the ESV. And when I write the lessons, I write it in the ESV. That, that's still the preferred translation among our congregation. A few years ago, Pastor Tom had switched to the ESV. Then he switched to the NASB 95. And now he's gone, by my persuasion, he's gone to the LSB. And he would agree. It is the superior translation. Pastor Tom is more fluent in Greek than I am. And he would even say that the LSB is more faithful to the original manuscripts, to the, to the earliest manuscripts, we'll put it that way, than any other translation out there. Now, I bought, uh, e, I, I bought LSB translations for all of my kids. So, well, except for my daughter, Annie, because I'm going to get her a really nice one and her birthday is coming up. So I'm, I'm waiting on that one. But the rest of the kids have received the children's version of the LSB. I love that Bible. What a great Bible. Yes, they have children's versions of the LSB now. And you can find it when you go to 316 Publishing, I believe, or Steadfast Bibles. One of the two. Anyway, if you look up 316 Publishing or you look up Steadfast Bibles, it will get you to... The LSB, they also sell NASB on that page. So you got to be careful. Make sure what you're getting is the LSB and there's all different kinds to choose from. So it's it's getting to the point where the LSB is now in print enough and there's enough people buying it that they're starting to offer some variety. That's one of the advantages to being an ESV readers. There's so many different kinds of Bibles that you can get and a lot of them are even cheap and affordable. Well, the more that the LSB is printing the more affordable they're becoming, even getting to the point where you'll have paperbacks and all that kind of stuff where you can buy them for like five bucks each and be able to distribute them like you can with a lot of Bibles. So uh, anyway, I highly recommend the Legacy Standard Bible. The expository workshop we just had, we gave a hardbound copy of the LSB to every single pastor. And in the small group that I had, it was about eight of us, I think, 
who were doing our worksheets together, three of the guys in the middle of the workshop, three of them started reading from the LSB. They had their new hardbound LSBs with them and were and were going through that as we were looking at the scriptures and discovering, uh, you know, the, the structure of the passage, and all this different kind of thing. The punctuation's different in the LSB than it is in the ESV, or, but you're going to find that in a lot of translations. The punctuation is not absolute. It's not always divinely inspired. Now, the LSB app is kind of disappointing. I'm sorry, guys. I don't know who's responsible for that app, but it's not a good app. So what I do on my smartphone is I've actually saved the LSB website because the way they do the uh, the Bible on their website is much better than what they do on their app. So I'll actually access it from the website rather than the app. Now, Literal Word, and you know what a, a fan I've been of Literal Word if you've been listening for a long time, they're going to add the LSB to their app. I think Literal Word is the superior Bible app. All the different options and things that you can do with it, the layout, the format, it's exactly what I would want in a Bible app. And so I'm thrilled to hear they're going to be adding both the LSB and the ESV. Right now, it's just the NASB. The app started because they wanted to preserve the New American Standard Bible 1995. And now with the Legacy Standard Bible, they're going to add that translation to the app and also the English Standard Version. So you'll have three translations on there. I'm so glad they're doing that. But that's the one I would encourage you to download just to have it. Just because the, the I, you know, I don't regularly read the NASB. I don't preach from the NASB. But that app is just so good. It's my go-to app. It's the first app I'll go to. So, uh, so anyway, check that out. Download Literal Word on whatever smartphone you use, whether it's uh, Android or iPhone, you can find the Literal Word Bible app, and it's free. And because it's just, I think, a couple of guys doing it, putting it together, you know, they're they're doing it on their own time. So the rollout of the of the new translations on the app, it's going to take a little while because they have to work through all of that. But I'm still appreciative of all their work. And thank you for your question, Kent. Uh, oh, the other part of your question, you said, can you say why? I don't know. Maybe I'll save that to another episode so I can I can kind of flesh my answer out a little bit better. I will say this. It was when I was teaching through First Corinthians on the podcast. So if you go back to that was last year, wasn't it? 2022 or was it 21? I don't remember. Anyway, uh, when I was teaching through first Corinthians on the broadcast, it was doing that teaching that sold me on the LSB is definitely better here. And uh, and that that kind of got the ball rolling because first Corinthians in the LSB was so much better than it was in the ESV. I've explained a little bit of that to my Sunday school class. If you're listening to the Sunday school class messages on Sunday then I've talked about that a little bit there. But otherwise, it's little little things here and there where the LSB has just kind of shown itself to be a superior translation. I did not think I would ever change translations. I thought when I chose back in 2012, this is the translation that I'm going to preach from. I, th- I thought I was marrying myself to a translation and I was never going to pick another one. But the LSB was just such a good translation. And the ESV changes on top of that. That's one of the disappointing things about the ESV. And it's one of the reasons why I left the NIV, because it was changing so much. When I first started preaching, I was preaching from the NIV. And and it was changing a lot, and I hated that. And so I went to the ESV, but the ESV changes a lot. However, the legacy standard translators, they're wanting to create a translation that is long-lasting, so that generation 
uh, generations later, a, a generation down the road, they're still reading the same legacy that we were reading here in the 2020s. I appreciate that commitment. And so, and so that's something that I look forward to with studying from this Bible, giving my kids this Bible, and they're going to be growing up with the same translation. Now, my daughter, my oldest daughter, who's 15, well, she's about to be 15. That's the birthday I'm buying her a really nice legacy for. <laughs> anyway, she will have gone through a couple of translations in her life. She was in the ESV when I was encouraging my kids to read that. And now we're making the translation of the LSB. I don't think any of the rest of my kids are going to notice that much, but she definitely will. Anyway, great translation. I like it a lot. And that's the one I would recommend. I encourage you to pick up a Legacy Standard Bible. This next question comes from Chris in Greenville, South Carolina. He says, Dear Pastor Gabe, are you planning on attending the G3 conference? This will be the first year that I have attended. I can't wait. And I'm trying to plan how many different ministries I can meet personally who have preached the gospel to me. Your ministry is one of them. So if you're going to have a booth, I want to be able to be sure to stop by. Thank you for all that you do. Well, Chris, my intention is to be there at the G3 conference. I got asked by somebody at the expository workshop this past week, the same question. Are you going to be at G3? I'm planning on it. I have friends that are going that have already bought their tickets because they think I'm going to go. So they're they're going to be mad if I don't. <laughs> and I don't want to I don't want to hang them out to dry. Hey, we went expecting you to be there and you weren't there. So, I am going to do a booth. I talked to Virgil Walker just this past week and I said, "Hey, still planning on getting a booth? Is there room for me?" He said, "Yes, just don't delay too long." So, I am going to have a what booth there. It's way more expensive this year. This this is the most a booth has ever cost me. <laughs> so, I am uh, I, I do have to I have to wait that, you know, things are going to be comfortable for me to purchase this booth. And, uh, and you know, so I'm not, you know, breaking the bank on it or something like that. And that's not the risk. I'm not worried about that. But it's still you want to be able to pay the money for the booth and have enough cushion under you as well. So that's kind of what I'm waiting for. And then just by the purchasing of a booth, we've got tickets to go to G3. And we're going to try to make it a whole family thing this year. So our whole family will go in September down to Atlanta. My parents live in Atlanta. So it's, you know, we get to see my parents. My parents get to see the grandkids and we get to go to a great conference together. My dad will come to G3 and will help me man the booth and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's fun. We're trying to get there. It's going to be a great conference. I don't know if you've seen some of the speakers, but you can find out more details by going to, again, G3MIN.org. Next question. This comes from Kat. And Kat says, hey, first off, I want to say that I love your ministry. Your videos and podcasts are very helpful to me. I have a question about gender roles. Is it wrong for a woman to be a tomboy? I know that the culture makes it seem like all the girls with that kind of personality are either lesbians or feminists. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it does kind of seem that way, right? And if uh, if a woman acts like a tomboy or, you know, teenager young 20s, something like that. If she acts like a tomboy, they're just going to say, well, she's really a, a lesbian or she was a, a man born in a woman's body or something like that. Anyway, but what about someone who honestly just has a boyish personality like sports and video games, wears men's clothes, strong-willed, etc.? Should they strive to be more feminine? And what about with men? Is it okay for them to be more sensitive and be interested in typically feminine things? What does the Bible say about this? 
Thank you for taking the time to read. Kat, that is a great question. And honestly, I'm going to say up front, it is not an easy one to answer, even scripturally. Although I will say this, that there is a clear indication from scripture that men should dress a certain way and women should dress a certain way. Now, exactly how men are going to dress, that's going to change from culture to culture and likewise with how women dress. But consider that we do have prohibitions in the scriptures about women dressing like men or men dressing like women. So Deuteronomy 22.5, a woman shall not wear man's clothing, nor shall a man put on woman's clothing, for whoever does these things is an abomination to Yahweh your God. Now, what might be uh, addressed here in Deuteronomy 22, as we try to understand that or translate it to our modern context, it may be talking about intent more than actual articles of clothing, because the law doesn't say women should dress this way and then list what her clothing should be like, and men should dress this way and then list his clothing. We don't have that in the law. It just says a woman shall not dress like a man and a man shall not dress like a woman. So the intention is probably the thing here. What do we typically think of women looking like? And is a man dressing like that so that he appears to be like a woman? What do we think of a man typically looking like? And is a woman dressing like that so as to be perceived as a man? That is what scripture prohibits. There should at least be something about the woman that clearly identifies her as a woman, even in what she wears, but still doing this with modesty. And likewise with men, there should be something in the way that uh, a man dresses to demonstrate that he is actually a man. You should not have to look at a person and try to guess, well, is that a woman or is that a man? Men should not be wearing dresses <laughs> and a woman should not wear like a tuxedo uh, that you would typically see men in that women should not be wearing. Even though I know there are women in this culture that will wear a suit and a tie and a tuxedo, I don't think they should. That should be men's clothing and women formally dress another way, something that is uh, more customary to what women wear. We also have in 1 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 9, likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, with modesty and self-restraint, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly clothing, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women professing godliness. So there's even a demonstration there in 1 Timothy 2 that women tend to look like this, even in the Ephesian culture that Timothy was uh, living in, where, where he pastored the church there in Ephesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, of course, you are surely familiar with the head coverings debate that we have there in 1 Corinthians 11, 2 through 16, I believe it is. I'm going to be addressing that in my Sunday school class in not too long, and that will be on the broadcast too. Uh, but it, So there in the instructions that Paul gives to the church in Corinth, women should have their heads adorned this way, and men should have heads like this. A man should not wear his hair long that looks like a woman, and a woman should not cut her hair short to look like a man. And Paul goes back to the order of creation in that. He doesn't just say that arbitrarily, and it doesn't appear to be in a cultural context. He comes back to creation. So as we typically think of a woman's hair as being longer, I think that a woman should wear, a hair wear her hair longer, and that men should not wear their hair in such a way as 
to appear feminine or effeminate. Some of that, though, is it's it's going to be subjective. So I think there needs to be some wisdom there. We need to be careful not to become legalistic. All men should look like this. All women should look like this. Women can't wear jeans, you know, something like that. Just because a woman has jeans on doesn't mean she's dressing like a man. There are going to be some some of those things that are culturally acceptable. So you got to be thinking about that. But most of all, you want to be thinking about what's honoring the Lord in this. How is what I am wearing honoring God? He made me to be a man. God made me to be a man. So I want to dress in a way that looks like a man, that looks like the way God made me. And likewise, if you're a woman, you want to dress in a way that looks feminine, that people know that you are a woman. And there is a certain way that we consider a woman's body that's different than the way that we consider a man's body. There's different parts on the two bodies, in case you're ignorant and have not yet noticed that. Our culture seems to be quite ignorant about that. But you know, there are biological differences between male and female. And so even what we wear is going to accentuate that or treat those certain parts of our bodies with the proper modesty and yet still being able to, at the same time, celebrate that we have been made either male or female. Now, Kat, you also mentioned in here, you said, what about someone who just has a boyish personality, who likes sports, video games, wears men's clothes, is strong-willed, etc.? Should they strive to be more feminine? Well, I like playing video games with my wife. I mean, we've enjoyed playing video games before. We watch certain movies and tends to be that, you know, when we go out to the theater, we're going to watch something more action-packed than romantic. But when we're together uh, by ourselves, we'll watch a a rom-com or something like that. My wife likes sports. Occasionally, we'll watch, you know, different sporting events. I don't watch as much professional sports as I used to, mostly because everything got so extremely woke. (laughs) Now, and I will tell you this, Becky is very strong-willed. She used to drive. I always always get this wrong. I'll undershoot the size of the truck and she'll correct me later. No, it was bigger than that. She used to drive a 60 ton haul truck, like one of those huge dump trucks that if you have boys, they've got, uh, you know, a, a dump truck, Tonka truck version of that's what she used to drive. She used to drive the real thing. In fact, when that truck just a couple of years ago finally retired they had to retire that truck they had to junk it the guy who used to be her boss took a picture of it and sent it to her and said we had to get rid of it you know and she was she was heartbroken that was my truck that was the truck that i used to drive so i'll tell folks whenever uh you know you know we have if there's ever a discussion about who's more strong-willed in a marriage or something like that i will say in the heart of my wife roars a 60-ton haul truck so when you talk about a strong-willed woman That's my wife. And yet when it comes to recognizing the instruction for women to submit to their husband, my wife, it's probably a little bit harder for her than than for other women to take on a submissive role, because I don't think that's, you know, naturally within her personality. She's not just inclined to want to be submissive, but she does that because she knows That's what scripture says, and she wants to honor the Lord. So when it comes to being feminine in that way, Kat, when you are, I don't know if you are married, you didn't mention that, or if you desire to be, but in in order to please the man God has given you, you want to consider some of these things in scripture. He does most likely want a wife. 
who is going to be feminine, who wears dresses and shows that feminine quality about herself or who will manage her household well. I think no matter what kinds of hobbies and interests you have that are typically considered to be tomboyish or masculine, there's still the the things that a woman should do, according to what Scripture says, like loving her husband and her children and managing her household. Talked about in places like 1 Timothy 5 and in Titus chapter 2, you know, places like that. So there are certain responsibilities that you will have as a wife that you need to do, and that is in obedience to the Lord, and doing that with joy, not saying, oh, well, I mean, it's not really my personality, but I have to do this because God said so. God does not want your begrudging submission. He wants you to do it with joy. You delight to do these things because God has created you for this, and he's called you to this, and this is in service of the one who gave his life for you. Jesus who was in the form of God, but did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, making himself nothing and taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross so that God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. This is what Jesus did for us on our behalf. Second Corinthians five twenty one. for our sake, he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So because Jesus submitted to the will of his father, because Jesus made himself nothing and took on the form of a servant, he died for us, he rose again from the dead. In light of these things Christ has done for you, done for us, it should be your joy to want to do what he asks of you according to his word. Like I said before, there's going to be some wisdom things in this. In some of these matters, it's not a definite yes or no, black or white. So get some wisdom. I would encourage you to talk to your pastor. Talk to some other ladies at your church, because one of the things that said in Titus 2 is that the older women should teach the younger women. So you have a great resource with some godly, mature women in your church and ask them, how do you think that I should be dressing or acting or even behaving in such a way that is honoring of God and would likewise honor my husband? If you are married or desire to get married, but otherwise, like I said, great question. And thank you so much for writing. I hope that this was helpful for you. Next question comes from William. Hey, Gabe, just a comment on your reviews of the chosen. I'm hoping my schedule is lightening up here and I'm able to get back to the chosen reviews next week, but we'll see. Just a comment on your reviews. I love them, but also a thought. Isn't it kind of ironic that the show is called the chosen, which is a very Calvinistic title. Yet, I would be willing to say Dallas Jenkins probably is not a Calvinist, as well as a lot of the shows following. <laughs> yeah, most definitely not. I highly doubt that uh, that Dallas Jenkins is a Calvinist. Yeah, he's chosen this title, The Chosen, and the way Jesus will call his disciples in the show, it's almost kind of like they're given an, an out, or they could rejected if they wanted to <laughs> they could go nah no thanks i don't think i'm going to follow you but remember that jesus said to his disciples you did not choose me but i chose you that you would go and bear fruit so 
Highly doubt that Dallas himself is a Calvinist. This next question from Robert. Hi, Pastor Gabe. Love your podcast and the what videos. They have been a blessing. Check this out. An ad from Jonathan Rumi selling rosaries. You too can have a rosary for between $350 and $1,095. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, so I went and checked these out. Wow, this is a, a very expensive rosary. This one is, uh, this one's just a bracelet. It's just a bracelet, but it's $384. Goodness. I mean, they look nice. Not, you know, not going to lie. It, it looks like it's probably worth that. I don't know. I would never buy anything. I wouldn't buy a bracelet even if it wasn't a rosary for $350. But yeah, there's a picture of Jonathan Rumi wearing this really dainty, pricey bracelet here. Let me look at another one. This, the, uh, there's some different categories here. This one is, where did it go? There it is. Apparitions rosaries. Oh, my soul. So yeah, uh, the the apparitions rosaries are going to be a picture of Mary along with a crucifix, Jesus hanging on a cross. So here's Our Lady of Guadalupe and St. Juan Diego rosary with Murano glass. That one is $97. Here is, um, that's another Our Lady of Guadalupe. So you're praying unto Mary. Our Lady of Fatima rosary with hematite beads. I don't know if that's how you pronounce that or not. That's over $100 for that rosary. So yeah, the, the whole concept of Mary being on the rosary or, or why it's even called an apparitions rosary. It's because presumably Mary has appeared and has said to her followers, Christians, <laughs> I don't know. They're certainly not Christians, but anyway, uh, the, the claim is that Mary has appeared and said that you're supposed to pray the rosary. So that's why it's called apparitions rosaries, because this this is from Mary who appeared and said to pray the rosary. But yeah, so this is the kind of stuff that's being pushed by those people who are associated with the chosen. And it's why I say over and over and over again, this show is not advancing the gospel. People are not getting saved through the chosen. If anybody gets saved because of this show, it's because God was working against it, not with it. It was, you know, they meant it for one thing, something extra biblical, something that's not good, whereas God meant it for good. So God can certainly work through it, but that doesn't justify the creation of it. And, uh, and you know, if you've heard past episodes of Becky and I going through those episodes, you hear the problems of the way Jesus says things. It will sound like he's quoting scripture, and you're probably familiar with, oh, yeah, that's that story in John 3 or whatever else. But the words are going to be different. His inflection is going to be different. They are communicating something with this show, and it's not from the Bible. It's only based on the Bible. It's kind of, it's kind of like a fan fiction, but it's not really the Bible. Yet many, many people are thinking that they are witnessing an accurate representation of Christ and his disciples, and they're not. A lot of liberties are being taken with that show. But on top of that, you have Mormons who are behind the creation of the show, using the show to try to recruit for Mormonism. You have Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus in the show, who is Catholic. And of course, he's pushing all of this Catholic doctrine. And a lot of the stuff is very new age anyway. When you're watching interviews with the actors on the show or with Dallas Jenkins, 
There is never any promotion of the gospel. I've never heard any promotion of the gospel, which, by the way, if you've seen something like that, send it to me because I'd like to see it. If Dallas Jenkins or anybody else on that show has actually shared the gospel, calling sinners to repentance and believe in Jesus Christ, send me a video because I'd like to see it. I have watched many, many videos, not just of the chosen, but even like the different interviews and stuff like that. Some of the interviews are so ridiculously boring that I kind of quit watching it six or seven minutes in. But if you know of a time where one of them actually did share the gospel, let me know. Cause, uh, cause I would like to, I'd like to see if anybody has or, or even what their gospel sounded like. Otherwise, all the stuff that you have being pushed by this show is this very ecumenical, semi Pelagian, um, uh, you know, universal faith sort of a thing. And it, it is not biblical Christianity. It is not calling anyone from sin to repentance to believe in and follow Christ. I've never even heard any kind of statement like, Uh, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by him, John 14, 6. And that being said in such a way as if only by faith in Christ can you be saved from judgment in hell and have everlasting life with God. And I don't know that the show would ever try to push such a message. But anyway, I have season two to come into next. I know they're just now finishing up season three. But I'm going to be watching season two this next week. I'll watch the first four episodes and do a review, God willing, maybe on next week's broadcast. And uh, hopefully we'll have Becky back on with me as well. In the meantime, let us finish with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness and your goodness toward us. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So we have come to know and believe And we thank you for your mercy and your grace toward us as demonstrated through the cross of Christ. Because you have loved us, teach us to love one another, holding fast to the true word of the gospel, not being ashamed of the gospel, but sharing it with all that we have an opportunity to share it with. For it's only by faith in Jesus that they too will be saved from their sin and have everlasting life. Give us boldness in these days. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. This is When We Understand the Text with Pastor Gabe Hughes. There are lots of great Bible teaching programs on the web, and we thank you for selecting ours. But this is no replacement for regular fellowship with a church family. Find a good, gospel-teaching, Christ-centered church to worship with this weekend, and join us again Monday for more Bible study, When We Understand the Text.